welcome back to the Lime Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. For newcomers to this program, it's a place that we bring together the world's leading experts on all things health and wellness and movement and psychology and mind and body and all that. This episode specifically would be what I would consider to be one of the most important conversations that I have put out, not just due to the content, but primarily due to the individual. Bruce Lipton is someone that I have been tracking for the last 17 years or so. About 15 years ago, read his book, Biology of Belief, and that was a primary turning point of sorts for me to start to look at this whole mind-body conversation more than just the body-body conversation. So at that point, I was really obsessed with bodybuilding and just all about all the supplements and all the muscles and all the things. And his work has been fairly pivotal, I'd say, in uh, changing my perspective on things. So I'm super excited to bring him on today. This conversation was recorded at his home in Santa Cruz, and the guy has a rad place. First of all, he sleeps outside. He's got a bed outside on his deck he's like surrounded by a bunch of beautiful plants of all varieties he's got a greenhouse down below that a hot tub overseeing the woods really really rad place and uh, he is living what he is saying and um, i've got a ton of respect and just adoration and appreciation for good old dr bruce we will definitely have him back because there's just not enough time to get into all things but this is a great starting point and highly recommend y'all taking notes sharing it with somebody you care about it is very important conversation each week i have a tendency of taking some notes random notes that i take out of my cell phone i'll have this my my little note app and things that i find interesting throughout the week i like sharing some with you guys and the share of the week pulling out the old cell phone notepad here is from arnold Patton, and this is directly in relation to this episode actually is from his universal principles. So paraphrasing what it is, essentially, if you don't like what you're experiencing in your life, look carefully at what you're choosing unconsciously. If you don't like what you're experiencing in your life, you must look carefully, examine what you're choosing unconsciously. We have some, something like, people say different things, somewhere between like 10, 20 bits to 120 bits or nerve impulses, information we can process with our conscious mind, and then it's something around 40 million bits with our unconscious mind so we have this whole ocean of information that is being processed beneath the surface of our perception in that unconscious world and then we have that little dinghy that is our conscious perception of what the heck is going on i think oftentimes we we think that that conscious mind is really steering the ship but in fact the ocean was running the show all along So that is exactly what we get into this conversation, accessing that ocean, talking to it. I appreciate you guys checking out alignpodcast.com. If you have interest in uh, learning how to get your head back on top of your shoulders so you don't have that daggone forward head posture, crunched up shoulder tension stuff, pain in the wrists, carpal tunnel, all that stuff, all those patterns are consistent. They all are related to each other. So if you pull on one of the threads 
within the fabric of your body that will have a trickle effect throughout the rest of the system. And so what we broke down is a 30 minute masterclass that I'm very excited to share with you guys that goes into some fundamental practices on how to unwind those patterns from the ground up. It also gets into some of the fundamental practices of spending time on the ground, which you all know I'm very fond of. So check that out at alignpodcast.com. You can also find links to all of the program stuff at the Instagram page of the line podcast. It's in the bio. All right, here we go. Back to the scheduled programming with one of the most important people in my timeline, the good doctor, Bruce Lipton. Oh, if that happens every now and again, it won't be at the end of the world. It's fine. So recording all, all these guys? All okay. these guys. Wow, we're entangled. We're attuned. That's going. Bruce Lipton, we've done it. All right, we are on. We're on. Thank you so much for your inspiration in my life. I know you don't realize it, but for the last 17 years, you've been one of the primary inspirations in my world of shaping my perspective out of being like just creatine and muscles and dumbbells into kind of this whole mind-body conversation. Well, for me, it's also I'm a student as much as anybody else is ever a student, because I used to teach the whole story of genetic control and victimization and all that until my research led to, that was completely false. We're manifesting and creating our lives. We're not victims of it. How did you come across the the direction change with that? Where were you before? Was there any why in the road or anything of that? I... Grew up and trained as a conventional biologist. And so, you know, when I was talking to students, I would talk to them about the concept of genetic control, which means control by genes, which is the belief system. And I said, well, this is what we were teaching. And I said, well, what was the consequence of teaching that? And the answer is simply this. The consequence is, as far as we know, we didn't pick the genes we came with. If we don't like the characters, you can't change the genes that we came with. And then on top of that, you're told that genes turn on and off by themselves, so you're not really involved. And then all of a sudden you start to realize, oh my God, my fate is not controlled by me. Hmm. It's controlled by my heredity. You know, oh, there's cancer running in the family or cardiovascular disease. And and all of a sudden I said, well, what, what were we teaching? bottom line and the answer was victimization yeah genes control you you don't control genes and therefore all you need to do is find rescuers the rest of your life (laughs) to help you out so i was teaching that and at the same time i was working on cloning stem cells and this is I like to use the word, I'm very proud of it. Half a century ago. 1967. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> More than half a century. I was cloning stem cells, and it was interesting because at that time, nobody even knew really, just a handful of us in the world knew what stem cells were because we were working with them. They're embryonic cells. But my research profoundly changed my entire life because what I was doing was cloning them, meaning I take one stem cell, put it in a petri dish by itself, and it divides every 10 hours. So first there's one, then there's two, then there's four, eight. You know, it doubles and doubles every 10 hours. So a week later, I have 30,000 cells in the Petri dish. Now, the unique part of the experiment is all of the cells came from one parent. So basically it says how many 30,000 genetically identical cells. Okay, so they all have exactly the same genes. And when we grow cells in a laboratory, we grow them in an environment called culture medium. It's a fluid environment because cells uh, live in fluid, okay? So we create a culture medium environment that they live in. I say, what is culture medium? It's the laboratory version of blood. 
So if I grow human cells, what's human blood made out of? Make a, a chemical version of it in the lab and feed the cells. But since we create in the lab, I could change some of the constituents. So I made three slightly different versions of culture medium. Just change the chemistry a little bit. In one dish, in version A, environment A, the cells form muscle. In a second dish of my genetically identical cells, fed with a different environment, B, the cells form bone. And yet in the third dish, again, with genetically identical cells, different environment C led them to become fat cells. So you have to stop there and go, what controls the fate of cells? And the answer is, not genetics, because they all had the same genes. There was nothing different about the genes. The differences came from how the cells responded to the environment. Hmm. I say, so why is it relevant? It was uh, the cells weren't acting on their own. They were acting in, in complementarity to an existing environment. As you change the environment, you change the genetic expression. Yeah. So you go, oh, that's really cool. That's a cell culture, plastic dish, throw the cells in there, put the culture medium. I go, no, wait. We are what I would refer to as skin-covered Petri dishes because underneath the skin, I have 50 trillion cells in this skin-covered dish, but I have the original culture medium called blood. So I say, does it make a difference to the fate of the cell if it's in the plastic dish or in the skin-covered dish? I go, the fate of the cell is still based on the culture medium. The original culture medium in the skin-covered dish is blood. If you change the chemistry of the blood, you change the fate of the cells. Now, all of a sudden, so we follow, the, you know, where are we going? I say, well, the chemistry is controlling the fate of the cells. I say, what's in charge of determining the chemistry? Who's the chemist? Yeah. The brain is what releases all those special uh, neuropeptides, hormones, growth factors, emotional chemistry. It's all coming from the brain going into the blood. So the brain is the chemist. And now we're left with, with the most important of all the questions now as we follow this where we're going. The cells respond to the chemistry. The chemistry is the blood. If the brain is making the chemistry, then I say, well, since the brain is controlling the chemistry, the fate of the cells, what chemistry should the brain be putting into the blood and comes the most amazing and most powerful, empowering information. And that is the function of the brain is to take the picture held in the mind, a picture in the mind, and translate that into chemistry, complementary chemistry. Hmm. It's sort of like a reverse of paint by numbers where you get a picture where there are numbers in there and you got colors with certain numbers and then you put the colors and then you reconstruct a picture. Well, we start with the picture, but the colors are the chemistry. And so whatever the picture is, the chemistry that is created is a complement to manifest that picture. I say, so why is it relevant? I say, well, <laughs> uh, do you have really happy, wonderful visions in your head or do you have scary visions in your head? Well, it changes the chemistry profoundly and changes your life entirely. So uh, basic, come down to a simple solution. Chemistry is different based on the picture. I go, yep. If you're in love, the chemistry that comes out of a brain in love is dopamine, which is like, wow, pleasure. So uh, yeah, we seek love because the chemistry of that picture is pleasure. Okay, we um, also release oxytocin in love, which is that. That's a chemical that gets us to bond with the source of our love. Vasopressin, a third chemical released in love, makes you more attractive to your partner, so that keeps the relationship tighter. And most important, growth hormone is released when you're in love. 
And I say, well, what's the relevance? I say, well, that's why when people fall in love, they're so healthy. They're vibrant. You go, you know, oh, look how in love they are. See how they glow. I say, that's a chemistry. That's the chemistry of it. I say, okay, that's the chemistry of health and happiness and glowing. That's great. And I say, but what if you open your eyes or your vision as a picture of fear, something you're afraid of? I go, well, the chemistry of love doesn't come out in a picture of fear. Chemistry of love leads to stress hormones and factors that affect the immune system and reorganize the function of the body toward protection. And I go, oh, that's completely different chemistry. And I go, 100% different chemistry. And I say, so what controlled the chemistry? Well, the brain, no, no, no. What ultimately controlled the chemistry? What were you thinking? And all of a sudden it says, my goodness, your consciousness is creating your biology. And then all of a sudden I stand back and I go, you know what's interesting? Since 1927, quantum physics, when it originated and verified as the science, 1927, from that point on, the primary principle of quantum physics is consciousness is creating your life experience. And now all of a sudden the biology, epigenetics, the science of how environment adjusts our genetics, that's what I saw in my culture dish, the environment controlling the genes, is now the forefront of all research. It says how you respond to your environment, which is your perception, how you do it. Two people can be in the exact same environment and have totally different take on what's going on based on what they see, what they perceive through their belief filters. So I say, well, it's not just the environment, it's what you see in that environment. Some people walk in and go, wow, this is the most beautiful place in the world. Another person could come in and go, this is kind of a scary place. I go, two different biologies, same environment. So all of a sudden it says, what's the ultimate control? And the answer is your consciousness. And then, so that puts biology and quantum physics on the very same page. And so it says, what do you want from your life? And all of a sudden that becomes then the question of what am I going to manifest in, in my, my consciousness and how is that going to affect my genetics and my biology? Well, that's that picture of where you want to go. Hmm. Feels like, I'm curious your perception of where the origin of war and rape and yes. greed and all of those things come because it, it it seems correct to me that the foundation of the human experience is sits on love and if you push the muck away enough eventually you get into more love and compassion all those things but that was the idea we came in for that but then there's a, a concept of manipulation and this is where empowerment of different people over other people came when they started to recognize if i give you a vision or you know, give you what you should see, then I will control the rest of your life. And look, the Jesuits, 400 years, 400 years have told their followers this, give me a child until it is seven and I will show you the man. They knew for 400 years, whatever belief systems I put into the mind of that child, when that child is growing up, they will manifest those belief systems. So they knew we were programmable. And uh, it's interesting because everyone's programmable, and I'll tell you why. The brain is a computer, absolutely. You know, the most magnificent computer humans have ever experienced is the human brain. I go, yeah, but it's a computer. And I say, so what's relevant? I say, well, look, let's go to the store. We buy a new computer. Okay, here it is, brand new computer. And I say, okay, push the start button. (gasps) Oh, it boots up. And I go, okay, now let's do something. Like write, draw, spreadsheet. I say, do something, yo. 
I, I got to put some programs in before I can use a computer. Hmm. So there's about three phases here. Phase one, build a computer operating system. Phase two, install programs that can be used in this computer. And phase three, learn that with your control, it's a rewrite program. You know, you can read it or you can write it program so you can change your life with this program. And, and so what do we now know? It's like, well, okay, the computer is operating system. Last trimester of pregnancy, it's on, but it needs programs. So from the last trimester of pregnancy through age seven, the brain is designed as the equivalent of a video camera. Whatever it sees, it will download the behavior, just like obser observing, like videotaping. So I said, well, who do you videotape? I said, well, as infants, the first ones you videotape are mom and dad <laughs> because that's the creators of your world at that point. So I say, what does it mean? I said, a child watches the mother and the father, watches their behavior, records exactly what they do and how they respond. They become mini-me's yep. in this sense, okay? I go, so what does this mean? I say, well, the character of the parents is translated into behavior by the infant who is recording that, and that becomes a program. Okay, so I say, conclusion. Where do you get your programs from? I say, in the first seven years, you get your programs by just observing your parents, your siblings, and your community. Observe how they live, because that's the behavior required to be a member of a family and a member of a community. They're, they're rules. You can't do anything you want. I said, well, how do I know the rules? I said, well, you could read them in a book, but an infant, obviously, this is not going to apply. So I said, nature has taken care of that, accommodates it by, for seven years, putting the brain in record, theta. That's the brain function of download. Does it start delta, the first zero to two? Or is De that well, delta is unconscious or sleeping. So basically, it's on, you know, it's like a computer. It's yeah. in sleep mode. It's not doing anything. It's just sleeping at that point. But when you wake up, it starts by booting up first theta and then goes into higher levels of consciousness. And in development, that's the same way it starts. The programming of a child first starts with delta. It's just born. <laughs> it sleeps right there just to get the energy. Yep. And then theta starts. And theta means that that infant starts observing everything in their world and making that a recorded program. And those are the basic programs in your biology. They came in first, okay? So you program for the first seven years because your brain is not at a level of creative consciousness. That's after age seven. So I say, so the first seven years is what? Download. Who are you downloading from? Parents, family, and community. I go, are their behaviors good and healthy? <laughs> I say, why? Because you're going to record everything. <laughs> Bad behavior, good behavior, because consciousness is not there for a child to filter the download and go, that's not such a good behavior. Or that's a really good behavior. There's no filter. So I say, what's relevant? I say, everything you observe is strictly downloaded just as you observed it. So unfortunate statistic, about 70% of the programs we download by observing family and community, about 70% are disempowering, self-sabotaging, limiting beliefs. Disempowering beliefs. Who are you? You know, oh, I'm nobody, you know, it's just like, oh, your health? No, that's not for you. That's for the doctor. And so we give up these controls to the professional people. That's part of the program. Okay, so the relevance is what? Well, many of these controls take away your power. And then so when you're operating from the program, 
you're expressing behaviors of powerless. I'm powerless in controlling my life. I don't control my genes. The genes turn on and off belief system. They turn on and off by themselves. They give me a cancer. I go, well, that's totally false belief <laughs> because there is no gene that causes cancer. There's not one gene that causes cancer. Cancer is 14, 15 different genes have to at least collaborate before the cancer can even get off the ground, which takes randomness out of it. Oh, randomly, I mutated 15 genes at the same time. It's like, nah. <laughs> cancer is a expression, a symptomology of not living in harmony. And the biology is now out of harmony. What's going on on your vision of the outside is translated to manifest what's going on on the inside. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, we blame genes ever since. That's what I was saying when I started this research. I was teaching that genes were controlling. And I was teaching victim. You, you didn't pick them, you can't change them. They go on and off by themselves. You have no control. So I programmed doctors to teach their patients their victims. But when I started to understand the nature of the tissue culture experiments on the stem cells, it was like, oh no, I might not be able to change the genes, but the new science of environment and perception controlling genes, which is called epigenetics. And it's interesting because people, genetics, epigenetics, it sounds the same. And I go, when I say this character is under genetic control, the simple meaning is this character is controlled by genes, period, okay? But if I say that this character is under epigenetic control, that's a revolution, because epi means above. So a skin is epidermis, meaning there's a layer under the skin called dermis. Skin is above the dermis, so it's epidermis. So now I say, well, what's epigenetic control? And it translates exactly as control above the genes. And I would say, so what, what's above the genes? Your perception. And I go, why is that relevant? Because you can change your perception. And all of a sudden it says then, if perception controls my biology and I'm the one that creates perception and I can change perception, then by definition, I'm not a victim of my biology. I'm manifesting my biology. And I go, well, that's absolutely true. That's the new science. And yet I say, you will manifest whatever you believe. And I go, that goes back to what's your program. Hmm. and if most of the programs are disempowering, which they are, then each of us is trying to overcome these programs. And then the last thing, because there was a short question and about a two-day answer, <laughs> uh, uh, the important insight right, right here is that once we understand that we are in charge of the genetics, we can change our consciousness, we can change our perception, and all of a sudden it says we're not victims. We can manifest any perception. And all of a sudden it says, genetics, victim, epigenetics, master. And we have to get out of this because this is what told people they're powerless. When in fact, every one of us is a creator. Everyone is creating. And, and, and quantum physics, the most valid of all the sciences on planet Earth, principle number one, consciousness is creating your life experiences. Epigenetics, consciousness is creating your biological behavioral experiences. So it comes back time and say, well, what about consciousness? And I go, I will end this sentence. Keep going. <laughs> the point about this is, oh, the consciousness, the mind is controlling. And so I go, yeah, but then we've made an error. 
We've said the mind, like, oh, there's this one thing called mind. I go, no, mind is two things that are interdependent. One is called conscious mind, one is called subconscious mind. And they have different functions, and they learn in different ways. And if you didn't understand the duality, if you didn't understand that they learn in different ways and that control in different ways, we're lost to the magic. Of, I don't know what the hell is going on, but something's going on. And now we know what's going on. And here's the point. Subconscious mind, as I mentioned, is the database in which programs are stored for seven years. It's a database. Anytime you learn something, it becomes a habit. The habits live in the subconscious. Those are programs. Push the button, program plays. You learned how to walk when? Before you were two. Wonderful. You know why? You never had to you know, learn again. You've been walking since two without even thinking about it. Why? Because it's a habit. It's automatic. And, and it's beautiful. Subconscious is good. But if you get a bad program in the subconscious, you can destroy yourself as fast as heal yourself based on what that program is all about. Okay? So I say, oh, but what's different from subconscious to conscious? I go, subconscious is habits. Conscious is creative. Well, that opens the doorway for humans beyond other animals because we can see the world, but we can also imagine things. And I say, what's useful? I say, well, if you can imagine something, you can manifest something. Hmm. And so we can see into the future with imagination, with conscious mind. So conscious mind is, and this is critical, wishes and desires. Aaron, what the heck do you want out of your life? If you answer that question, it's not coming from a habit. It's coming from a creative motion of the conscious. So I say, oh, conscious mind can manifest wishes and desires. I go, then how come none of us are manifesting our wishes and desires like we should? And that's because a little piece of information was left out. And this little piece of information changes the world. I go, what is that? You're only using your conscious creative mind 5% of the time. I go, so what? I say, 5% of the day, your conscious creative mind is going to unfold a world that you desire and wish for. Unfortunately, 95% of the day, your behavior is not coming from creative consciousness. It's coming from programs in the subconscious. Why? <laughs> and here comes the, the issue that, again, we didn't understand originally, and that is this. Conscious mind can focus on what's going on in the world when I look out my eyes. Hey, what's going on in the environment? I can see what's going on in here. But if I am thinking, conscious mind is not going to be looking out. By definition, conscious mind has to look in. A thought is on the inside. You can look out the window all you want, but the thought is occurring inside your head. So the moment we are thinking, we redirect consciousness from looking out and turn it around to look in. Because thoughts are on the inside. Well, there's a fundamental issue here. If I'm driving my vehicle with my conscious mind, I'm driving to wishes and desires and things that I want. But then I say, what happens if I think? I say, oh, I let go of the wheel. Because now I have to go inside, so I'm not looking out the windshield anymore. I go, well, now the vehicle's out of control. I go, no. The moment you let go of the conscious mind, the job of the subconscious mind is autopilot. It will step in right behind the wheel and start taking over the driving the moment you let go. But then I go, and what's its program? Where is it going to take me? Is it going to take me to where my conscious wishes and desires, you know, that's where I want them? Or is it going to take me to the program? And the answer is, it's going to take you to the program because that's what its job is. 
And I'm going to say, oh, wow. So whatever program I got in the first seven years is going to run essentially 95% of my life. I go, yeah. And I go, well, a lot of those programs up to 70% are disempowering and self-sabotaging. Well, I would see that. I go, ah, you won't. I say, where's your attention with your conscious mind? Is it watching what you're doing in the world or is 95% of the time the attention is focused inside, not even looking outside? The answer is the latter. You're thinking. And so therefore, automatic pilot gets in, drives your vehicle to where? Wishes and desires? No, it, that's in the conscious mind. That's when that's driving. Subconscious mind's driving? What programs did I get from my family and my community? I will automatically participate in those programs. It's automatic. It's a habit. It's a no-brainer. I'm not even thinking. It's, you don't have to think to walk. You can walk without thinking about it. Okay? So I say, yeah, but how we respond to other people and how we talk to ourselves and all that stuff, uh, this is part of the programming. And if it's not supporting you, then 95% of the day you're sabotaging your life. And I go, well, what's the issue? And here's the biggest, here's the biggest issue. The biggest issue is this. I wake up in the morning with wishes and desires. Today, I'm going to follow Aaron. I'm going to be the healthy guy. I'm going to do all that <laughs> exercise stuff because look at this. I'm not following Aaron. But today, <laughs> when I get up, I'm going to follow Aaron. And then I come home at night at 5 o'clock, uh, you know, a few hamburgers heavier than when I started. And I go, oh, geez, it didn't work today. You know, oh, it's just not in my fate right now. You know, it's like that's not going to happen. Uh, I want to make it happen, but it, it just didn't happen. And I go, Why? And the only answer you can have is, I'm a victim of something. Mm. Why? I'm the one that wants it to be healthy. It's not healthy or my life isn't in the best job or my life isn't in the best relationship. And if I want those things, I'm not manifesting them. I'm a victim. And I go, that was the problem of when the consciousness switches into inside thinking and the subconscious takes over, consciousness didn't see the change didn't see the behavior. You don't see your own behavior when you're thinking. When you're thinking, you're inside. Whatever's going on outside, under the control of subconscious. So I go, so what the hell's the relevance of all that? I go, 95% of the day you are playing programs because you are thinking with your conscious mind. These programs come from the subconscious and they have the programs and 70% or so might be very disempowering, self-sabotaging. You won't see it. So you'll go forth in the morning with a vision of what I want, conscious, and you come home with a consequence of subconscious. What does that mean? I say, you didn't get what you wanted, and yet you didn't see why. And so you said, I know I wanted to be successful, and it didn't work. I'm a victim. It's not me. I wanted to be successful. So since I'm not, I'll give you every reason why out there they've interfered with my success. When we now pull the veil off and go, yeah, but 95% of the day you were playing programs that self-sabotage. And the result is self-sabotage. And then all of a sudden you say I'm a victim, which means you're powerless, when in truth, as quantum physics emphasizes, we created that. And therefore, after all this hour of short answer here <laughs> that I'm making, <laughs> the bottom line is this. If your life isn't working out the way you want, it's not because life won't give you what you want. If it's not working out the way you want, you're actually looking at a reflection of your subconscious program because 95% of our life is subconscious program. And if you look at your life, it's simple to say what my programming is. Simple. 
look at your life and say, oh, these are the things that I like. And they come into my life. And I go, you have a program to let them come into your life. Hmm. And I say, but these are things I want. I'm having trouble struggling to get these things. I'm working hard. I'm sweating over it. Why am I working so hard? And the answer is simple. Whatever that destination is, subconscious mind doesn't have that in the picture. And you're trying to override a mind that's working 95% of the time. That happens to be a million times more powerful than the computer called the conscious mind. When you do the math, it's like, you're not living your life, you're living your program. There's a, it's reminding me of being kind of stuck in your victimhood is something that I'm pretty sure I've been entrenched in or entranced by for a good chunk of my life. And I'm still kind of Everybody Ob- is. Observe- <laughs> yeah, so I'm kind of observing. I'm like, there that thing is again. And there's like a Gurdjieff quote, the Russian philosopher guy, in order to... Yeah, yeah. Something along the lines, in order to achieve enlightenment, you have to be willing to sacrifice your, your suffering, sacrifice your victimhood. You know, so we, we become so comfortable inside of that house because it's the only house that we know. But we didn't see the victimhood because we were looking out and not looking back when we were manifesting the victim behavior. Correct. So in our conscious mind... I wouldn't have sabotaged myself. I go, yeah, you and your conscious mind wouldn't have done it. But if your subconscious mind's running the show, I'm sorry. If sabotage is built in, you're going to have sabotage. It's not, it's not under your control. You let go. And, and this is why, to me, the, the movie The Matrix becomes so important. Yes, everybody's been programmed. But there's one interesting aspect. And that in the movie The Matrix, they say, here's a blue pill and a red pill. Take the blue pill. Wake up tomorrow. You're back in the program. Life is exactly the way it's always been. But take the red pill and you get out of the program. And and it's like, well, what happens when you take the red pill? Well, you're out of the program. I say, yeah, but what's the consequence of that? And then the beautiful part that I'd love to now acknowledge to the audience is that science has recognized that when people fall in love, that is the functional equivalent of a red pill. I say, what do you mean? When we fall in love, we stop playing programs. I say, why are we playing programs? Because we're thinking. I say, well, then what happens when you fall in love? I say, that's not a time for thinking. That's the time for being present. You've just been looking for this individual your whole life. They show up. You think you want to, you know, just let the mind go and wander and not be here? So falling in love is tantamount to a red pill. When we stop thinking, then by definition, our life is not controlled by the subconscious. Now it's controlled by the conscious. I say, what's conscious? Wishes and desires. So I say, your life every day, blah, 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 blah. Then you meet the special person. You fall in love. 24 hours, 24 hours later. Oh, man, life is beautiful. Heaven on earth. I love that. You know, everything's great. You know, I love everything. I'm so in love. I go, that's great. That's called the honeymoon. I say, what did you do? You went from blah, blah, blah to heaven on earth by what? Stop playing the program. I said, well, then if you understand the mechanics of that, then what do you think would be the consequence of reprogramming the bad program? And all of a sudden say, you could have heaven on earth every day of your life? Yeah, as a matter of fact, that's true. (laughs) I want to take a moment to discuss a vital mineral for your health which is, drumroll, magnesium. Magnesium is literally one of the only supplements that I will actually go out of my way to purchase. It's fantastic for muscle relaxation. It's fantastic for rest and digest and repair and take it before you go to bed for a good night's sleep, all the things. It is vital to over 300 different reactions in the body, including digestion, as I mentioned, fat metabolism, and the production of energy in your system issue with magnesium that is quite relevant is it is fairly deficient in our modern soil. 
which if you refer back to the Anya Fernald episode, you can get a deeper sense of exactly why that is. So since the 1950s, populations have been experiencing a diminishment of that in the soil. So 80% of our population goes deficient. So I highly recommend grabbing yourself some magnesium. And we teamed up with bio-optimizers who are making what I conceive to be some of the absolute best magnesium on the market. Reason being, uh, one, it's just, they're just a high quality company in general. They do a great job and they incorporate all seven different forms of magnesium into one supplement. So a lot of the ones you get have, you know, a couple, a few, but not all of it. So they do a good job with covering all the bases. So magnesium is a no brainer supplement to take. It's literally one of like two supplements that I would actually purchase with my own hard-earned monies. And this is by far one of the better products you could possibly procure. So you can get yourself 10% off on your purchase of their, they call it Mag Breakthrough, Magnesium Breakthrough at magbreakthrough.com forward slash align podcast. That's mag, M-A-G, breakthrough, B-R-E-A-K, T-H-R-O-U-G-H dot com forward slash align podcast and get yourself 10% off with that coupon code align 10. So what makes this even more exciting is if you don't love the stuff, if you don't notice immediate difference with relaxation, with feeling like your muscles are calming the freak down, you can get yourself a 100% money back guarantee. No questions asked. If you don't feel a difference, you can get your money back. So go to magbreakthrough.com forward slash align podcast to relax those muscles and that mind and that body. All right, here we go. Back to the schedule programming with my man, Dr. Bruce. Do you remember what your earliest memory was? No, I have real trouble. You know, I used to go back trying to think how far back, you know, and yeah. I, I know I could go back to three, yeah. but earlier than three, it gets real remember, hazy. What do you remember from when you were three? What's that? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I remember where I live and the environment of nature and sun. I remember lots of sun and green plants and, and fresh air. We lived, you know, it was at a time where kids played outdoors all the time. We didn't play indoors. And, and it was like, <gasps> just being in nature was, that was just lovely, you know? And then of course I could start downloading the memories of my mother and father and their dysfunctional relationship, which of course I downloaded and I observed their behavior and I became my father in downloaded program. And then when I would go out and seek a relationship, uh, my conscious wishes of this is a beautiful vision of this is what I want for a relationship. And then subconscious takes over and I manifest the behavior of my father. And guess what? I destroyed every relationship I was in because that invisible behavior that took over automatically took me out of relationship and and just canceled relationship. And then becoming aware gave the opportunity to say, but what if I reprogram that? What if I program that instead of my father's behavior, I put in the behavior I want to have? I can program what I want. I go, yes, you can. How do you define I? Okay, uh, I separate <laughs> from you, Aaron. There's <laughs> a couple of things. They're physically separate. We have two different bodies that we're emanating from. Hmm. Uh, but when you understand the nature of the new biology, if they're attuned and entangled, and th- there's a field continually that playing we are, off of each other, and there's the harmony in the orchestra, like there's what is all that? kinds of connectivity. Right. But who who are you? <laughs> who are we? 
We are like radio automatons, radio-controlled automatons. It's sort of like uh, remote control. This is a vehicle. What am I going to do with this vehicle? The answer is, what my consciousness is going to do with this vehicle. I say, and where does that consciousness come from? Well, a lot of it comes from the programs. But there's a part of us which I never believed in, so this changed my whole life as well. Uh, and it's quantum physics, is that we are not so much the physical body as we are the energy vibration that is controlling this physical body, the consciousness. Consciousness is not in here. Consciousness is a field out there. And each human body has a set of antennas, protein antennas, just like TV receptors, okay, that are tuned to that individual's consciousness station. My, my receptors on my cell tune into Bruce's consciousness station, okay? You have Aaron. I say, well, what's the relevance? If I take your cells out, put it into my body, I have all my cells watching my station, and all of a sudden I put in a bunch of your cells watching your station. And now I have two stations playing at the same time. It's yeah. like, this doesn't work. So the immune system's job is to do what? Get rid of the other station. So that's why we reject the foreign the foreign station. Unless you, the fall foreign in, unless you fall in love with the station, there's ah. like a double helix effect. Well, th this is when the, the beautiful part about, uh, let's explain a very interesting aspect about the nature that we are not in here. And that really comes down to understanding the fact that when people get a transplant of a heart, that's an electric generator. The heart is EKG. You can read your heart electrical activity. The heart electrical pump is so powerful an electrical field that you can read a person's heart from you know, 15 feet away with, a, you know, read the electrical activity of that heart radiates out so much, okay? So basically, if you put in somebody else's heart, memories, the person who donated that heart, their conscious field, their body is gone, their heart is still left with what? The receptors that are reading their field. So when you put a heart into another person, and being the most powerful of things, different than transplanting a kidney, <laughs> if I put a heart in, you start to, because of the powerful electromagnetic field of that heart and its influence, you start to acquire the characteristics of the person who died. And people go, oh, that's a memory in the cells. I go, Look, a heart cell has a hard time just remembering its job is to contract and be a muscle cell. The idea that it can remember chicken McNuggets and beer <laughs> is like, well, that's a little beyond the heart cell. I say, so why is it relevant? And, and the most important insight, and this is the whole thing that changes everything, is that the cells have antennas downloading the identity of the person who donated the heart. So their field of biology and behavior and experiences is playing through that heart a separate story than all the rest of the cells in my body playing the Bruce story. So I get another person's heart, and all of a sudden I start to realize my life is changing. There are different characters that I never expressed before that are now showing up, or different behaviors that I never would have done. But now that I've got this heart, and then we find out that the person who donated the heart expressed those behaviors, and the person who received the heart started to manifest those behaviors. And you go, well, I say, where's behavior coming from? I say, not inside the cell. It's coming from the field. Huh. And at that moment of recognition, it's like, oh, my God, I'm not in here. I am a field being picked up by the antennas, like a remote control vehicle here. And I'm controlled by this field. I go, why is it relevant? I say, parallel understanding. 
The body is like a television set and it has antennas. I'm receiving the Bruce show. You are seeing the Bruce show right now, yeah. okay? A television, you're watching it. The television physically breaks. Something went wrong. Television's dead. No more show. Or maybe I'm not even here and this is just a Bruce show. Well, the whole idea is that it could all be that. Well, all we have to recognize is, here for each other. is step back outside of the system. But we're so in the system that it's hard to get that vision that I said, you're not in the system. You're the field outside the system. Uh, and our consciousness is connected to that field. And so what's the point? I go, you're watching a TV. It breaks. It's dead. I say TV's dead. But the most important question is, is the broadcast still there? And they say, of course it's still there. How do you know? Get another TV, plug it in, and tune it to the station, and the show is on again. I go, this is exactly what happens when you die, your television's gone, your broadcast's still there. But if an embryo shows up with the same station in regard to the antennas, you're back, but in a different TV set. Does it make a difference that TV set is male or female? Nope, that's just the remote control body of it. Does it make a difference if it's... Uh, Red, white, black, brown, yellow TV. I said, no, that's just the model of the TV. You're still the, you're the show. You are not the TV. Hmm. Uh, and we start to understand this and we say, wait, then we come back and forth a lot. And I go, yeah, we do. Because the energy field is not lost. That's part of physics. You know, energy is here. It doesn't get lost. It's still here. And we are the energy. But we're the energy playing through a device and so I have to add this now because I'm using all your time talking. There's no, airspace in here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, look at it from my perspective is this. I'm a cell biologist. I didn't believe in spirituality. I didn't believe in any of that stuff, afterlife. You know, I didn't believe that, right? And then the day I start to understand the mechanism of epigenetics is how environment controls the genetics and the biology. Environment changes, biology changes. And I recognize, oh, my God. No two people read the exact same environment. I go, how do I know? I say, because my cell receptors read my environment, and if I put it in your body, which is reading another environment, it conflicts with your body, your immune system will have to get rid of it. Uh, and so basically says, then I and my 50 trillion cells are on the same broadcast, and you're on a different broadcast, okay? But is me the picture on that TV set in the TV set? No. I'm the broadcast that the TV set is translating into the picture. So a body is a translator. So at this moment, so I don't believe in spirituality. Then all of a sudden I realize, oh my God, my identity is not even in here. It is the broadcast coming here. Uh, 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 you know, uh, and then I start to realize, yeah, but if the body dies, the broadcast is still there. And I go, wow. And then I said to myself, an obvious question as a science guy, just recognizing the existence of a spiritual realm, I go, why have a spirit in a body? Why not just be the spirit? <laughs> I thought this was so cool. Eliminates half the project. You just be the spirit. No more supplements. And then guess what? 50 trillion cells. I could feel it welling up like a tide lifting up inside 50 trillion cells. I said to myself, why have a spirit in a body? Why not just be a spirit? 50 trillion cells come up and ask me a question. So I think they're Jewish cells. I, I asked them a question. They gave me a question for the answer. I said, why have both? And here's what they asked me. Well, I said, why have both? And the cell said, Bruce, if you're just a spirit, what does chocolate taste like? And all of a sudden, I said, oh, my God. 
This is a virtual reality device that translates the environment through receptor systems, sight, sound, smell, touch, emotions. These are the manifestation of a physical device responding to an environment. My spirit doesn't have a mechanism like this. this is, these are cells that are manifesting experiences, okay? And so I can have an, a consciousness, let's say a consciousness of love. Oh, that would be this, you know, like a sine wave and nice and smooth and harmony and all that. I go, that's really nice. I say, but what about a feeling of love? Oh, consciousness can only understand that if you had a body that can translate the chemistry of love into sensation that the nervous system could read. So the idea is this, a, a spirit without having a personal experience can have any kind of conscious idea, but if a body existed, that spirit got into a body and lived with it, and then I asked the spirit, what about love? Well, now the answer is different. <laughs> it's not just harmony, but there's feelings and sensory things. Well, we're, oh, I learned that from my body. Hmm. So the body is, is, an, is like... Um, an option to spirit if you buy the body you get all the sensations <laughs> and that's why we have it and it really changed my life because at that time like almost everybody else it was a rat race keep your head down focus on your job don't focus on on yourself you know you've got to go out there and fight to stay alive darwinian theory and all that and then i realized the purpose of having this body was to have these sensory experiences what does love feel like you know what is harmony? What, is, what does the sunset look like? Well, eyes create that vision from the energy. Yep. And so all of a sudden I said, oh my God, we came here to enhance our experiences, to take a concept and then live it. A concept of love is nice. Living love has a lot of chemistry associated with it. That, that enhances the whole story. So I go, oh, we came here to have these life experiences. And then I also go, well... But we also came here to make things happen. So we came here to create. I go, wait, we came here to create and in return have life experiences. And I go, well, what are you creating? I say, well, if you were free of the damn programs, what would you have created? Heaven on earth. And that's what happens when we have like that honeymoon effect. Hmm. I go, so why was the relevance? I say, we didn't come here to suffer and go through all of this Darwinian struggle for survival, doggy dog world. We came here to manifest heaven on earth. Have you done it? Well, if you've fallen in love, you had a little window of opportunity when that red pill was working to see you could have done it and you could have it your whole life. I say, then why does the honeymoon disappear? And I say, you never changed the program. So at some point you're going to start thinking. Uh, you know, because in the honeymoon, the thinking is off, you're being present, so I'm not thinking, so I'm creating with conscious mind. But at some point, you got a job, responsibilities, things you got to do, you start thinking, and the moment you start thinking, guess what? You now start operating from the program. I go, well, what's the problem with that? And I said, your partner in this relationship never saw your shit programs. Oh, excuse me. Never. Oh, you can pass <laughs> away. You never, they never saw those programs. And so your relationship with them was based on what? All the beautiful wishes and desires that you could come together and manifest. This was great. And then all of a sudden, you know, I'm in this moment of thinking. There's a honeymoon going on. I'm in this moment of thinking for the first time. Margaret comes up, asks me a simple loving question. And I turn around and go, blah, blah. And she looks at me and goes, who are you? Oh, that's a favorite. Who are you? Where did that come from? Oh, that's good. Now the answer is really cool because I am Bill. I say, what does that mean? 
Well, my programs just came from my subconscious and I didn't see it. So what are you talking about? <coughs> That's my argument. She says, why did you talk like that? And I go, what are you talking about? I did not see the behavior as Bill when I started thinking. I let go of the control. Subconscious took over, played those negative programs. I didn't see it. Margaret saw it. Now, Margaret has to look at the relationship going, hey, Bruce and I have had this really wonderful thing, but that's, that's some really terrible behavior. Do I want this behavior? And so she thinks, she says, well, you know, it's, it comes up sometimes, but generally we're having a really good experience. So it passes with an acceptance. Sometimes Bruce is like this, but the next time she talks to me and I'm thinking another one of my bad behaviors comes out, it's like, oh my God, that's another one. Do I want to stay here with Bruce with these behaviors? She has to think. And then compromises come in. And that's where the whole thing goes to hell. Because all of a sudden the compromise, well, I'll put up with that. And I said, you don't really want to put up with that. But you accept it. Problem. You've accepted the compromise. And so all of a sudden relationships lose that heaven on earth, joyous honeymoon thing. Mm. It becomes everyday life, sometimes a pain in the ass. And we accept it. Why? Because we compromised each time one of these bad behaviors came out. Many years I did that. But when I met Margaret, who also had a background in in belief change programs and and all that kind of stuff, and we both were coming from the same place, we realized if I said something that was so out of ordinary for me in the honeymoon experience, maybe that didn't come from me. Maybe that came from my subconscious. And if it came from the subconscious, I don't own it. (laughs) And a matter of fact, if it's, you know, not really good for me, uh, I would love to change it. So in our relationships, when any negative program came up from subconscious that I didn't see, but she saw, we could stop and, and have a conversation, not an argument. And with the conversation, we can say, yeah, but what, what would you like to change? And then go about a process of, of changing that subconscious to make it more in harmony. I say, what would be the result of a couple experiencing the negative sides of pre-programming with the opportunity of reprogramming to put in what? Wishes and desires? I go, imagine your life if your conscious mind, your subconscious mind had the exact same wishes and desires. What was the point be? You could either be conscious and manifest them or you could be thinking all day and still manifest them because the program will automatically manifest whatever it is. So all of a sudden, oh my God, total empowerment. Total empowerment is what? Identifying the, the programs that are limiting you and rewriting those programs in such a way that when they express behavior, they give you exactly what you wanted, not what they gave you, but what you want. And all of a sudden I say, what does that mean? Then the, the simple reality of why do we come here to create heaven on earth? I go, how long does that last? I say, the entire life. What if every day of your life was honeymoon? What if every day you woke up and go, God, this is so beautiful. Oh, I'm in such a great relationship. My job is fantastic. I love my life. And I go, that's a hell of a lot different than the average person that wakes up and says, no, God, got to get to the station, got to get on the job, got to work, come home, run, eat. <sighs> Go back the next day and do it again. It's like, why were you here? What kind of things actively bum you out? What's like work for you? What are things that you're work? Like, no, work first? doesn't bum me out. Work is enjoyable if you're doing what you want. Well, what is work? Is in what's what's challenging for you? What's challenging for me is other people. (laughs) (laughs) Why? I live, whether it's here in, in California or where I live four or five months in New Zealand, 
if you would see both of my places, you go, oh, that's pretty nice. I go, yeah, you know, oh, big COVID problem. Lock yourself in, you know. Yeah. I go, really? I get a chance to stay here? I love this place. That's why I'm here. So it's like, great, uh, you know. But a lot of people come from a different consciousness. And most of that consciousness is disempowering. Hmm. And therefore, there's so many poor people who are so disempowered that a dream in their conscious mind will never manifest because their subconscious programs conflict with that so much that even though they start every day with, this is the day I'm going to make my life, and then they come home, uh, I would say jokingly, they come home with a bloody foot and say, who the hell shot me in the foot while in their hand is a smoking gun? They didn't even see that this was in their own creation, and therefore I'm a victim. And as long as we create victims, then you've created a class structure. Those that say, you're a victim and I can help you, then they become, you know, the, the healer version. Oh, I'm not in charge of my health. The doctor is. Well, you just gave up control to this field of medical practice, and you gave up your control. Uh, and, and when people understand this, it's like, you never need to go see the doctor if you're in total control. And, that, and that's the issue. So what bothers me is I can live in this world, but every now and then I have to go into that other world where those people are. And then I, you know, I sort of like grip, you know, hold myself together. Here we go. We're going out into the world. <laughs> but you know what? Ultimately, I get to come home and then everything will be okay. So I'm not living out there. But, uh, you know, but the idea is what? If you have to gird yourself up every day to face the day, then this is not heaven. Hmm. That's basically what it says. Hmm. When it's heaven is you go out and do something because the return of what you did is fulfilling and satisfying to your biology. And most people cannot say that their daily lives fulfill that. And so they're living in struggle. And I go, why are you struggling? You're a creator. And then I go, oh, I'm sorry you've limited your creation by programs that you didn't even know you have. <laughs> yeah. And this is a wake-up call. I wonder what the role of the things that would be easy to deem like negative, such as the existence of war and all the things that I mentioned previously. You know, if you were looking at, so were this, this culture medium inside the dish of 50 trillion cells, and then beyond that, there's, you know, your 50 trillion and then the community and the country yeah, and the, the exactly. world and all that stuff. So if you're looking at the global Petri dish, yeah, what are the the nuclear bomb threats and the homelessness and the, the war. People who are, people have lost their power. People are programmed to see their lives as victims of something that they just have to march to that drum because that's, I grew up here. That's the way it is. I mean, that's what so many people, you know, and unfortunately a lot of even religious organizations say, that's your fate in life. Accept this. This is the way God did this. Don't touch your life. And it's like, boy, is that stupid in my opinion? In yeah. my opinion, Why? Because you can change this if you don't like it. But they're sort of saying, you don't change God's plan. And sort of like, oh, who made that story up? <laughs> yeah. Almost every story, how does religion work so well? And the answer is this, you're afraid. They made you afraid. Of what? Dying. Mm -hmm. dying is ending what's, what's or going you're going right to hell a, what's that it's a global war on death right now well that's the idea and everybody's afraid now look two years ago i would be on the television and say uh, flu season's coming get your shot and you would go right. yeah sure yeah, and you wouldn't get the shot anyway right because you know you're not going to get it this year this flu season's coming and millions of 
people are going to die. Or all of a sudden, Wow, I could be part of millions. And all of a sudden, now it's personal to me. Mm-hmm. COVID's going to kill me. I go, Jesus, if you don't understand how biology works, this is lethal. Why? Because I said, what's the picture you're holding in your head? Creating. The, the, I'm creating an image of, oh, my God, sickness, death, decay. Oh, my God. I go, oh, look. Sickness, death, decay. I go, I've proven it. Uh, that's, uh, yeah, you verified, you verified your existence with your consciousness, which is being recreated in a physical form through this body. And if you change that consciousness, your life changes. It can happen instantly. It can happen instantly. But you just have to look at your life and say, is this what you want? First question, is this what you want? Is this what you've been looking for? And if the answer is no, then it basically says, well, you better go inside because the program that you downloaded is a program that manifests that. And if you don't like that, then there's only one resolution. Change the program. How does a person access those hypnotic states that you were almost entirely in You know, pre-seven? Yeah. How does one access that? as an adult to become malleable enough to start to reform those ideas. Okay. As I said, it's a, the vibration theta, which is just below consciousness. It's like right at the level of the interface of just awakening. That's the interesting part. Theta is imagination. And people, you know, if you have a, a clock radio and it comes on before you're awake, guess what? That's a point where theta will merge your dream state into what is going on on the clock radio. So all of a sudden, you're mixing imagination and clock radio reality at that interface of just waking up. So that's theta. So I say, oh, so you start with sleeping, the lowest vibration. As you wake up, you start to get into theta, and you're fully awake when you get to alpha, and then you're at work, you're in beta. And then I say, yeah, but guess what? When you go home, it goes backwards. You were in beta at work. You come home, you relax. That's alpha. And just as you're Going to sleep, when alpha consciousness goes to sleep, boom, eyes close. At that moment, you're in theta. Well, I say, well, theta is hypnosis. So I say, oh, if you put a pair of earphones on, as you're going to sleep with a program that you want to be real in your life, and there's self-help programs everywhere. People sell these new agey bookstores, whatever. I go, what's the point? I say, when you put the earphones on, uh, the moment your conscious mind, alpha, disconnects, you're in theta, and theta is taking whatever the message is that is coming from the earphones into the subconscious mind. It's called self-hypnosis. So that is one way to change. Every night, put the earphones on, listen to uh, a program that supports your destination. What is it? Job, relationship, health. Whatever program, you can play it. It's not going into the conscious mind. Conscious mind went to sleep. The one that's open is theta. That's download. So you can reprogram as you're sleeping, which means you don't even have any work to do. Okay? It's happening automatically while you're sleeping. It's going on. Uh, uh, The joyous part is now engage that new program. Guess what? You don't have any work to do. Why? It's automatically 95% of the day going to play itself. You don't have to make any more effort than that once you put the program in. So I say phase one, natural way to change program, self-hypnosis, because that's how we got them. But I say, but you also learn things after age seven, drive a car, play a music instrument or whatever activity that you're so engaged in that you play a lot and it becomes a habit. I say, how did you make a habit? Well, in a music instrument, I practiced every day. 
I picked up the instrument. I played the instrument every day. I'm getting feedback from my nervous system and my hands playing the instrument. And if I repeat it, that was the key word, repetition, habituation. If I repeat it enough times, that is another way the subconscious mind learns. So when you first got into a car, you had no idea how to drive a car. I wouldn't give you the keys and say, okay, go to town. <laughs> I think we ought to practice a little bit. And it's through the practice. And then I say, then guess what? Then it becomes a habit. I say, why is that important? I say, how many times are you driving and talking to a passenger in the car? You get so involved with the conversation, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And then you look out the window and you say, I haven't paid attention to the road for the last five minutes. You know, your passenger, hey, guess what? I haven't paid attention to the road for five minutes. You know, don't tell them that. But the simple reality is, I'll give you uh, two questions. Question number one, what was your conversation about? Oh, we talked about this and we talked about that. I go, great. Question number two, what was on the road during the five minutes you were having the conversation? The answer is, I have no idea. Why? You weren't looking on the road. The subconscious was driving the car. And it's the same story like Bill. Hey, was the driving behavior when you weren't paying any attention, was that good behavior or bad behavior? I said, it was based on the program that you learned how to drive. You replicated that exactly when you habituated. So I say, okay, self-hypnosis was how we learned from last trimester pregnancy to age seven. Uh, repetition, habituation, practice is how we put in new programs after age seven. So if you want to change your program, then you have to engage in a behavior that you want, which then becomes mentally conflicting because your life is probably the complete opposite of the behavior you want. You're sick as a dog, and I'm saying, what behavior do you want? I am healthy. It's like, well, this is a damn conflict. I am, I'm sick. See, I'm sick. And I'm, what am I telling myself repeating? I am healthy. I am healthy. I go, what does this manifest? I go, repetition. We'll put in a program, I am healthy, into the mind. The mind's job is to manifest the programs. We've been doing that all along. But if they were negative programs, that's where the problems came from. But what if I put in a new program, I am healthy, but my body is riddled with cancer? Guess what the job of the mind is? Create coherence between your program and your life experience. If I'm sick as a dog and now I have a program, I am healthy, the function of the mind is to make that program manifest. It will heal your body because it has to conform to the program. So it seems like paying extra special attention to those, I think it's hypnopompic and hypnagogic in and out of sleep. Yeah. Like that time frame where you're especially in that, your hypnotic ability yeah. is very high in that twilight zone yeah. territory. Paying special attention to maybe not holding a cell phone that teaches you the program that it does. That it already, as soon as I told you that, it, that it, this is harmful, you download that it's harmful, and then you hold this phone, what's the function of the mind? Take the program and make it coherent. Oh my God, this is harmful. <gasps> and then you're holding a phone next to your head and you've already told yourself it's harmful. Now the phone is harmful. So yeah, so the perception of the phone would, would shift. If you have that story that this is bad and then you hold it, it becomes bad because of you know, placebo. That's like what the belief. story is. It's but nocebo. No, yeah, no, yeah, right. Yeah. So, so, but if you are, a lot of people go to sleep with... Uh, a TV running, for example. Like yeah, I did that's that a really younger. unfortunate thing because... You're just getting pumped up. You're with getting pumped up with information that your conscious mind has no awareness of. And if you you do it like some people, fall asleep with Fox News, you're going to wake up yeah. stupid. Or advertisements. <laughs> so we're, we're exposed to, to tens of millions of advertisements uh, uh, before age absolutely. 30. Absolutely. 
so uh, what, uh, uh, most of it time. is most of the advertising from especially the pharmaceutical industry is you're a victim we have a drug yeah and you'll be it, happy when you have this yeah and you until you buy this, that drug and that's why like you the patients now go to the doctor. Instead of the doctor saying, I recommend this drug, the patient says, I want this drug. Uh, uh, and it's funny, I saw Bill Maher put a, you know, in his comedy show, and he put that in his comedy sketch. He says, you're telling your doctor which drug you want? Shouldn't the doctor tell you which drug you should have? If you tell the doctor which drug you want, doesn't that make him a drug dealer? <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, I guess so. Is it true? So the other thing, because we got to wrap up, we're at around an hour right now, feng shui and your environment beyond just relationships and, and commercials and all that stuff running yeah. in the background. Yeah. But literally the, the shape of your home affects your perception of self and the way that your cells produce. Uh, yeah. Uh, this is one of the illusions that is the most difficult to get humans to comprehend. Uh, and this is illusion that was revealed with the development of quantum physics. Quantum physics, uh, Newtonian physics, previous quantum physics, had split the universe into two realms, the physical material realm and an energetic realm. Hmm. And they said whatever is made out of physical stuff will be f affected by physical things. Whatever is made out of energy would be affected by energy, but they didn't talk with each other. So we separated the invisible energy fields from biology in Newtonian physics. I'm a physical thing. Give me a physical drug, and then I could fix the machine, okay? But quantum physics revealed that was an illusion, that illusion of matter. I love it because the uh, quote from Einstein that goes along with this is beautiful. It says, reality is an illusion, albeit a persistent one. <laughs> and, yep. and basically, what, what does that mean that this is an illusion? I say, we know that things are made out of atoms. And I go, oh, well, atoms in our mind are this little solar system with a nucleus and electrons as little planets running around. That's our visual picture of a matter atom. And I go, well, what was quantum physics all about? They say, well, what the hell are those things made out of? What's a proton, neutron, electron made out of? And when they took that dive, they looked inside and guess what? There was nothing physical inside. It was all energy. And all of a sudden it says then, oh, then atoms are an illusion made by energy. Everything is energy, and uh, that changes our whole worldview. I say, why? Everything made out of atoms is energy, and conglomerations of atoms give fields, okay? And I say, why is that relevant? Anything that's made out of atoms is giving off energy that's based on its composition. I go, so why is that relevant? I say, you hang a picture on the wall giving off energy. It's a picture, but it's giving off energy, a uh, vase gives off energy. A book on the table gives off energy. The table gives off energy, I guess. So why is it relevant? Well, energies are commodities. <laughs> and there's things when energies are together and it's called in harmony, okay? And there are energies that are conflicting with each other and it's called disharmony. I guess so why is it relevant? Well, first of all, stop looking at the world as all physical things and start recognizing everything that you see as physical as a source of energy. And I say, oh, yeah, and I go, this is what the Asians had known for thousands of years. When I put something physical in your space, it's an energy I'm adding to your space. And I go, well, how do you, you know, design your space? And it's beautiful because I say, let, let me give a, a thing about energy first, just a very brief intro. And it goes like this. There's a, a big shoe store at one of the best department stores ever, you know, Nordstrom's or something like that. And I go, what's the relevance of that? I say, well, there's 10 pair of shoes on sale. They're all exactly the same price, but they're 10 different styles. 
they're available in your size, available in the color. They're all the same price. And you're faced with what? I got to buy a pair of shoes. There are 10 pairs of shoes. What? And this is the beautiful part when you get down to it. What ultimately led to your decision to pick that one pair out of the other nine pair? And the answer is, it made me feel good. It was the energy of the shoe that brought you to it and you it because your energy and the shoe's energy were in harmony. Well, that's the equivalent of feng shui. What did you put in your house? It made me feel good. And then you go in your neighbor's house and you go, oh, God, you feel all you know cringy inside it because look what they did in here with their stuff. Well, in their world, that energy was in harmony it's with It's like them. congruent waves coming together to create right, a bigger wave. Right, right. So... The, the interesting thing is, is how do we know where we're going and what we do at any time in our life? And the answer is very simple. If I go back, just to give an example, I say a, a snail comes out of an egg. There's no mother. There's no fathers. There's no school. There's no education. The snail's on its own. I say, oh, my God, what's going to keep that snail alive in this world of crazy going on here? I mean, just dropped it out there in the middle. And the answer is there's only one gauge on the dashboard of a snail. It's an energy gauge. More energy, more life. Less energy, less life. That's simple as it is. So as a snail is moving through its world, it's reading the energy. If it's going in some direction and the energy starts to get lower, it says, don't go this way anymore. Why? Less energy, less life. Snail turns around and goes the other way. A snail comes to a plant. Should I eat this plant? The answer is, what's the energy of this plant? Does it enhance my energy? Or does it conflict with my energy? If it enhances my energy, I'm going to eat this plant. If it conflicts with my energy, I'm not going to eat this plant. I go, this is what shamans have been doing. They, you know, they talk to the plants. I say, what are they talking to? The energy. The energy of everything. We're in a matrix of energy. And it's how we move through our world and what we have to start recognizing. We have been misprogrammed sometimes to go down and follow the path of losing energy as a way of life. And it's like, that's not the way of life. That's the way of death. <laughs> we have to understand there uh, the things that govern us if we did it based on an energy. So, you know, if I wanted to leave a most important conclusion about this, you're going to make a decision, something important about your life. I say, well, there's two ways to make this decision. Let me explain them because the important difference is this. I could use my rational thinking and I could think of all the reasons why I should do this and why I should not do this. Lots of reasons. I say, if you remember a class in, I think it was algebra, you get a very big equation, and your job is to reduce the equation to a smaller and smaller size. And I go, and how does that work? I say, well, you start at the top of the page with a big equation, and then you reduce it, first step, and it's smaller. And then you find another way to reduce it, second step, it's still smaller, and then you reduce it. And so by the time you get to the bottom of the page, you've carried out five different or so operations on reducing it. And I go, so what? And I go... If four of those reductions are actually correct and you only made one error, the answer is wrong. <laughs> the answer is wrong. And I go, because if you're going to, you know, create an equation using your awareness, if something's wrong in that decision because of the way you learned it was wrong and you put that in the equation, you just compromised yourself. So I say, well, but it's really good to go over. I have to make a decision. Should I take this job? I start to think of everything about the time on the job, the cost of living there, the social area. You start to put all this stuff together, and you're thinking, 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 and then you try to come to a decision. And then I'm going to offer this. You've done the thinking. Great. 
the next step, which to me is the most important step of all in the decision-making, is you don't ask your head, tell me the rational reasons. You ask your heart, you say, how do I feel about this? And the reason is this. The heart just reads the energy field, doesn't do calculations of rational thinking. It just reads the field. Does this feel better for me or worse for me? That's all it's going to do is read the field. But that's what simplifies the result. Because your heart will say yes or no to that decision. And then what I suggest is do all the rational stuff. That's good for you. It's a good exercise. But when it comes to the final decision making, don't ask your head because it's got programs in it. Ask your heart. It doesn't respond to programs. It just reads energy field, just like the snail. Is this an energy field that makes me feel better? Good. More energy? I'm going that way. But if you sit there and go, eh, I'm not so sure. I don't think, you know. Then I go, then don't do it. Uh, and so all of a sudden I say, when it comes down to final resolution, heart over mind is a more accurate way of doing it because the heart just reads energy and energy is life you got more or less with this decision that's basically what the question comes down. it reminds me of ram das he's got a, a quote of you got to remember your social security number and your and your buddha nature you heard that one before no. i feel like that's right for you yeah so it feels like you the game or to be a, an effective player in the game from my my perception would be to be able to harmonize that mind and heart and have them work together that's the because, idea of it. you know this is more ramdas regurgitation but he says the heart says give it all away whereas the mind is you know counting you know doing all the numbers and figuring out how to how to aggregate more rational, da, da, da. rational mathematics yeah but if you're a person that's just full all give it give it all away it might be helpful for you to you know be involved with a person that's a little bit more like left hemispherical active in linear well, you have to the have box, balance like there's balance crunching the numbers like okay cool i'll support your heart with these walls yeah <laughs> but, but you but but it's a balance issue and that's why it really comes down to which way is that needle pointing yes yeah. or no and the ultimate balance is not to read the details but to read the collective energy because hmm. that's a summation without looking at all the little steps going along the way Last question, how do you actively question the heart? What does that actually look like in real time? It's a feeling. You can you can just say feeling. Do I do I feel that like yeah, I want to go or I'm not sure. If I'm not sure, it just says you're not really ready for going there. That's all it's saying. Yeah. It doesn't say not to go there, but it says at this time your hesitancy is a feedback of an energy field saying it's not exactly what you were looking for. Now, the idea is, uh, what do you want to compromise? <laughs> or just listen to the heart and say, yes, no. That's really what it should come down to. Yep. Perfect. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, Aaron. <laughs> I thank you so much for letting me talk to you, being the unhealthy specimen of a human that you as the uh, man of health and oh, get vigor the heck, and get vitality. The heck out of these are all stories. Don't rehearse these. <laughs> Repeat, we're going to go to sleep and rehearse health stories. So that's actually all it takes to do, but no, oh, you got to do that. <laughs> um, where should people go from here? How do people learn? So I wanted to, Biology of Belief, yes. like 17, when did it come out? I think I read it 17. 2005. Maybe, maybe it was, so 2025. I read it when it came out. 15 years ago. 2000, so Five. 15 years ago. Yeah. That was like such a pivotal book for me because at that time I was obsessing over bodybuilding and all, oh, yeah. all of the yeah. things. 
uh, super, like just very superficial, very vain. Also dabbling with psychedelics and stuff, which was kind of melding me in, in other directions. That's good. That opens up your programs for you to look at. Yeah, I wanted to talk about that, but but it's okay. We'll have to do a, a part, part part two at some point if you're open sure. to it. Sure. But Biology Belief was such a pivotal book in my whole life path. And I wouldn't be who I am now, whoever the hell that is, whatever story that is, <laughs> if it weren't for that that pivot of going into your yeah. work. So, um, Hey, I wouldn't be where I am. As I said, I was a student of the cells teaching me before I was teaching other people. I'm a student of this. Yeah. And I could tell you, boy, I, the transition in life that resulted from this is like, I live in heaven. Hmm. I live, that's the way I wake up every day. It's like, I'm still here. I'm so excited. I got my partner. We're in love. We're creating. We're enjoying things. Do you have love for hell? What's that? Do you have love for hell? Love for health? Hell. H-E-L-L. Oh, hell is, yeah, something I don't want to do. So if I can see it, uh, I don't know, stay away from it. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> where should people go? Where do, where do people go to like Bruce a, buy some plugs, get a website, whatever, where to learn more? BruceLipton.com. That's so the best straightforward. BruceLipton.com, there's, there's uh, audio, video, written contributions all for free. Yeah. You can go look at all this stuff and read about it online and get an input. And then, of course, the books advance that a little bit more because yeah. of focusing on the topic so much. I can't recommend your books more. It's not possible. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Well, I'm happy because, you know what, that was 2005 and the damn thing is still selling just like it was That's in great. 2005. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, amazing. Uh, it's nice because uh, so many uh, institutions are also picking it up as uh, as a part of a program yeah. to teach students a different way of life. Love it. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. I, I'm the beneficiary of the knowledge. Not so much what I put out, but if you saw my life up to age 40 and looked at my life now, it's like, oh, that's two different lifetimes in the same experience. And this is the one that was like, oh my God, this was the destination I didn't know about. If I had known about this when I was in my 20s, I would have had another 20 more years of heaven on earth, you know. And so it's really, I'm hoping that this message really gets out to a younger audience because why have to go through all that hard learning when you could get to the lessons real early and rewrite the program? That's yep. the game. Love it. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you. Aaron, I am so happy here. I really want to thank your audience because basically all of us are out here trying to create a better life. And so by definition, the audience is just looking at new information that you're offering that I'm also offering. Uh, and uh, the audience is very important because they represent cultural creatives, people who are seeking a better way of life on this planet outside of the box because inside the box is going to hell in a handbasket at this moment. Mm. Yeah, the answers are not in the box. The answers are outside. So thank you for letting me talk to your audience. Appreciate it, man. All right, on to lunch and a hike and some tea and Santa Cruz. Exploring the mountains. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Over and out. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to that episode. This was one of the more monumental conversations just because, as I mentioned in the introduction, Bruce has been somewhat of like, what would you call it? Like an idol, a hero, somebody that I respected greatly for a long time. And he's pivotal in my development as a human being. So glad that you guys got to share that encounter with me and we will have him back for sure in the future if you enjoyed it share it 
if you or anybody that you care about in your life and they would you'd like the best for them highly recommend sharing around tell your friends put it on the instagram you can tag bruce lipton on the instagram or you can tag me at a lion podcast you can tag both of us and there's a good chance i will re-share that stuff because i am excited about this episode uh, we also did a video that you can find over on the youtube so you can see what bruce lipton's home looks like pretty cool place and finally if you have interest in getting a bit more hip mobility i hear a lot of people that feel like they have stiff hips it absolutely has a lot to do with sitting in chairs a lot throughout our lives ever since we were little kids and so we broke down a master class on exactly how you can start mobilizing those hips in your daily life and this can be found at alignpodcast.com on there we break down some very simple fundamentals that everybody ought to know on how to maintain proper spinal mechanics proper hip mechanics specifically while you're spending time on the ground which is one of the best ways to mobilize those hips cultures have been doing it forever they still are cultures with healthy hips healthy knees healthy ankles and uh, it's time you start integrating some of these fundamental practices into your life and you can find that stuff at alignpodcast.com you can also find it the link for it in my bio on instagram at align podcast okay thanks so much for tuning in i hope you guys devoured that conversation thanks for sharing it thanks for reviews on itunes i read them all on to the next life experience thanks guys